the Psalms. And so as you're turning there, you know, one of the more interesting narrative accounts in the gospel to me was the time, you may remember, when Jesus was visiting the home of Mary and Martha. And it's very evident, as you read in that account, the two sisters were not on the same page. Martha was very busy moving through the house, taking care of all of the matters, making sure everything was perfect in that OCD uh, type of way. And as she was doing that, the scripture says that Mary was seated at Jesus' feet, taking in everything. And you can imagine how that played out. Here's Martha working, Mary not doing very much. Martha is frustrated and she complains to Jesus. And Jesus, rather than giving her an affirmative uh, response, gently rebukes her and says, Martha, Martha, you are concerned about many things, but Mary has chosen what is best that won't be taken from her. You know, to be honest, when I read that, the shame of the matter is often I can identify more with Martha than Mary. Uh, I'm the type of person a lot of times I want to be doing, and I'm the type of person uh, when instructions are given, I just dig in and start to put something together without reading it, and usually that's a big mistake, especially for me. I'm the type of person, I want to be doing things for Jesus, yet Jesus made it very clear in that account that spending time with him is even more important than spending time for him. And it makes sense, because how can we know what to do for him if we're not spending time with him? Well, today, we're looking at what I would call a Mary psalm, not a Martha psalm. By that I mean the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm chapter 92, is really a psalm of reflection. Last week we looked at Psalm chapter 12 and we noted how the psalmist, David at that time, was looking at everything around him and it was disturbing to him, but he found solace in the strength of God, in the presence of God, and the counsel of God's word. And that's true. Today, though, we see the psalmist in chapter 92 has a different focus. Rather than looking at the world around him, he's looking at the Lord himself, a perfect Lord, and he really marvels at the attributes of God. Look with me at Psalm chapter 92 uh, for a moment. The psalmist says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praise to your name, Most High, to declare your faithful love in the morning and your faithfulness at night with a ten-stringed harp and the music of a lyre. Uh, for you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you've done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. Though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be eternally destroyed. But you, Lord... Are exalted forever. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. My eyes look at my enemies when evildoers rise against me. My ears hear them. The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. 
planted in the house of the Lord. They thrive in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare the Lord is just. He is my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, forgive us for the times when we're so absorbed in our lives, when we're so absorbed in our prayer lives of bringing our petitions to you, that we do not stop and reflect on your greatness in your many magnificent attributes. We thank you for this psalm today, which is a reminder of who you are. And so, Lord, speak as we study your word that as a result of this, Lord, that we would be more alert to your greatness, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, this is the second consecutive week that we have been looking in the Psalms, and to be honest, we're between series of messages. Next week, we're going to be observing communion, and the week after that, uh, we're going to be ordaining a, a gentleman into uh, the deacon ministry of our church and so we're excited about these next two weeks. But today, uh, we're looking again in the Psalms, and we're looking at Psalm 92. And maybe you would note in uh, the beginning of your chapter there in English, it says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And so this psalm very specifically was written during a day of rest. And so I think it's uh, appropriate for us to understand this psalm as a psalm of reflection. You know, God has given us the day of rest, the one in seven, where we can stop and not just allow our bodies to rest, but also to be recalibrated toward him. And so here in Psalm chapter 92, we see very specifically that this was a psalm that was often sung on the Sabbath day. Just as the music we sang today, this psalm would have been sung, and it was a psalm of praise. You know, sometimes in our prayer lives, we rush too many times. We do, we do not take the time to reflect on who God is. Many times, as I just prayed, our prayers will be petitioned. Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, do this. Bless this person. Help us. And those are, are important parts of prayer. But it's very important also, as we come into the presence of God, that we stop and remember to whom we're praying. In fact, it's very important. Imagine if you had a friend, and every time the friend came to you, he says, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. In fact, I was laughing one time. We had a lady. She's since gone to be with the Lord, has no family in our church here. And um, I, she, I had been out of town. I came back off a of vacation. And as soon as I came back, I visited her in the nursing home. She says, I want you to go do this. I want you to go do that. I said, she doesn't need a minister. She needs a gopher. But many times we treat God that way. Could you imagine if every time someone came to you, all they were doing were pouring their troubles on you, all they were doing was asking for things for you, but it would be very taxing. And so praise of God is an important thing in our prayers. And that's why this psalm that was sung on the Sabbath is so important for us to look at today. And today we're going to see the psalmist focuses on five attributes of God which really elicit the psalmist's praise. And the point of, of, of the message today is if your prayers are off-center or have become dry, then go through this study today and, and look at these attributes and incorporate it in your prayer life. 
rehearse the attributes of God in prayer. And when we do it, it will enliven and center our prayer. So I want to look at these five things this morning. And the first thing the psalmist does is he praises God for his creative ways. He praises God for his creative ways. Now, in the first three verses, we see really a testimony. He said, it's good to give thanks to the Lord, to praise your name most high. He's saying it's a good thing. And he says, not just in the morning, but at night. It's important in the morning because when we begin our morning reflecting on who God is, it sets the path for our day. And at the end of the day, it's sort of no matter what's gone on through our day, it brings a great close to our day. And so he mentions the use of the instrument in verse 3. And then he moves, beginning with, with verse 4, to the end of the chapter, these five attributes of God. And the first is this. He praises God for his creative ways. You know, quite a few years ago, I, I read the book and I recommended to people called The Five Love Languages. In fact, it's a great uh, marriage counseling book. And among uh, the five love languages are words of affirmation. And in, in the point of the book was uh, most people have a primary love language. And for me, really, words of affirmation is if not my main one, one of the top two love languages uh, that I have. And in words of affirmation, they're basically words that build up. And the point that he brings out in the book is it's not just good, say, were I to share words of affirmation uh, with my wife or toward my wife, that's good for her. But it's also good for our marriage. It's good for our relationship. It's good for me. And the same thing is true about God. When we stop and we give words of affirmation, when we give words of, uh, of uh, praise to the Lord, when, when we affirm who God is and recognize it's not just good for God, it is good for us. And the psalmist here begins by focusing on God's creative ways. And this is not the only psalm where he focuses on creation. One of the most famous would be Psalm chapter uh, 19, but also in Psalm 100, he says, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. God created you, and he created you to have a relationship with you. There are many people today, they're living chasing the dollar, they're living chasing position, they're living chasing entertainment, never stopping to reflect on the truth that God created but not only did God create us, he created all that is around us, and he created ex nihilo. In other words, he created by merely speaking. Most things that are made today, there has to be some substance from which it's made. But God created this world just by speaking this world into creation. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? When you look around at created order, the power in God's word and the magnificence of who God is. Well, the psalmist here did not overlook that. Look at verse 4. For you have made me rejoice, Lord, by what you have done. I will shout for joy because of the works of your hands. How magnificent are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. God's thoughts. In fact, that which is created begins in the mind. And in the mind of God, it's an amazing thing, his creation. You know, during our trip to Italy, on the first full day in Rome, 
we had the opportunity to see uh, the Vatican, uh, St. Peter's Basilica, and, and we saw a lot of amazing paintings and sculptures. The second day, we were traveling through Tuscany. We were leaving Rome and heading toward Pisa and then Florence. And I remember before we went to bed that last night in Rome, I told Karen this. I said, today we have seen the works of man. Tomorrow we're going to see a more beautiful thing, and that is the works of God. And Tuscany is renowned worldwide, some of the most beautiful uh, areas of the of the world, and I can attest to you, it was beautiful. But move forward, there's beauty here. Just uh, uh, Friday night, Karen and I were looking to kill some time. When you've been married 33 years, what do you do? You go to Dollar General. <laughs> so uh, we went to Dollar General and Prospect. She got a little ice cream and I got a little candy or whatever. But as we began to make our way south toward Prospect, Karen looked out to the west. It was a beautiful sunset right before uh, the rain was coming. It might have been Thursday night. My, my day, I think it was Thursday night. It's Thursday night. And I thought, we traveled all the way across Italy to see beauty. And you know what? God is so great. He doesn't just limit it to one place. In fact, we took a picture. Hopefully, you can see it sometime. It's beautiful. You ever notice the Blue Ridge Mountains as you head toward Lynchburg or you head west or northwest? God created that. And the same God who created that created you. And he wants to know you and he delights to hear you acknowledge his creative genius. But I want you to see a second thing. The psalmist praises God for his eternal nature for God's eternal nature. Now before we look at this next attribute, we can't uh, skip verse 6 because really there's a strong statement by the psalmist here. A stupid person does not know. A fool does not understand this. What? That God created. In fact, not just that, but all of his many attributes. A stupid person. I had a, a college roommate. He used to say somebody's as dumb as a bag of hammers. I'd never heard that before. I looked it up online. Evidently, other people have said it. But what the psalmist here is saying is the person that looks at creation and doesn't even acknowledge that it's the works of God is as dumb as a bag of hammers, doesn't have any understanding. Listen, there are many people in the world today that will try to credit anyone but God, but God is to receive the glory. And so after, after rebuking, or this statement of rebuke, against those who do not acknowledge God. In verses 7 through 9, he begins to contrast God with the wicked. Look at what it says in verse 7. Though the wicked sprout like grass, and all evildoers flourish for a season, for a season. However, he adds, they will be eternally destroyed. But look at verse 8. But you, Lord are exalted forever. God is eternal, and he is eternally exalted. You know, one time Jesus was talking with the religious leaders of his day, and we read about it in John chapter 8 and verse 58. And Jesus said something that sort of struck them, and they said, like, wow. He said, before Abraham was, I am. I mean, can you imagine Jesus is about in his early 30s. He's walking around. He's saying, 
Abraham, who was there 2,000 years before they were at that time in history. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. But he was saying more than just the truth that he predated Abraham. But he very specifically used the same term that God the Father used in talking to Moses when he sent Moses to deliver the people. He said, tell them I am has sent you. And so if we could translate it accurately, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he's saying, I always have been, I am, I always will be. And the point of the matter is this, there is never a time when God was not, and there never will be a time when God is not. In Daniel chapter 2, I think we mentioned it a few weeks ago, the four um, parts of the statue that were described and how that statue was dropped representing all of the kingdoms from Nebuchadnezzar's day, all the significant kingdoms of the earth being dropped. And the thing that dropped that statue was a stone cut. It says very, qualifies it very clearly, not with human hands. It was divine in nature, representing the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom that will endure forever. I wonder today, what are you holding to that is just temporal? Fame, abilities, monies. And Psalm 49 says you can't take it with you when you go. You know, every one of us is going to die at some point. And if we don't acknowledge who God is, then we're going to be in trouble. And I pray you've done that. I pray you've done that. But let's look at a third thing. The psalmist praises God for his benevolent attentiveness. You know, I, I said a few weeks ago, some of the new songs I don't like where they focus on just the words in red because the words in black are just as much the word of God. But I'll relent a little. There is a song that mentions the words in red that's Matthew West sings. And, and I was thinking about that in light of this. And the words that he shared in a song, Me on Your Mind, really spoke to me. And, uh, and as I began to listen to the songs more, he wasn't degrading the words in black. He was just talking about the parable uh, of Jesus here. But that being said, all of it, the red and the black, is all of God, all right? But in this song, one part of the song goes like this, and many of you know it. Who am I that the king of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart? Who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, come as you are? You gave your life with me on your mind. Think about that. The God of all creation, the God who is eternal, not dependent on us. The writer of that song said, I'm on your mind. And that's what the writer of the psalm says here. I'm on your mind. After he talks about the attributes, right in the middle of it, after he shares the first two in verse 10, he says, you have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. Here we see that he injects himself in the praise, not praising himself, but praising God for what God has done for him. We see the personal aspect of the psalm. He's saying, God, you're great. You created all, but you have lifted up my horn. You've given me strength. I've been anointed with the finest oil. You look down, God, and you chose me. You chose me. Think about this. The God of all creation is a personal God, and the psalmist here is saying, 
that he's benevolent toward his children, benevolent attentiveness. And so we see that part of this praise. But then there's a fourth thing. The psalmist praises God for his righteous rule. We see that in verses 12 through 15. He said, the righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God and they will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green, to declare what? The Lord is just. The Lord is just. He's righteous. You know, I don't know about you, But looking at the news these days can be really depressing. We see partisan politics on both ends of it. We see a world in disorder. We see things that we know that are wrong being esteemed as right and things that are right being esteemed as wrong. And if we're not careful, we can feel like the psalmist last week, we can be discouraged. But what did the psalmist last week do? He moved his eyes to the Lord into the word of God. You know, we need God's word. When was the last time you really opened God's word and said, speak to me, God? When did you open the Bible? You know, the Bible's the only book, really, that's going to last. In fact, the promise in the scripture is everything else will pass away, but God and his word will not pass away. And yet, we don't stop to read it. We ought to be reading it because it has great news It is a plan for the future, and and it gives us God's righteousness. It speaks toward his righteousness. We need it. It's refreshing, reassuring, divine. Well, the the psalmist here confidently says, and look at verse 12, the righteous thrive like a palm tree, a fruitful tree, like a cedar tree, strong, renowned for its wood and for its strength. But then I I like what it says in verse 13. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courts of our God. In other words, if you think about it, there are certain seasonal plants. When it gets cold, what do you hear? You need to move it in the closed-in porch or in the house. Why is that? Because that environment is conducive for it to thrive. So what is he saying here in verse 13? The righteous thrive in God's house. Now, why would they thrive in God's house? Because God himself is righteous. And so what we see is a testament, not just to those who follow God, but that God himself is a righteous God. He is just. And we look forward to his return and his earthly, visible, physical rule on this earth which will be a righteous rule. I wonder today, do you know the one who's righteous? Do you praise God for his righteousness in a day where everything is askew? Well, I want you to see a a final thing. Fifth, the psalmist praises God for his immutability, for the fact that God doesn't change. You know, there are two known times to me when I came that close to death. Now, you know, there were probably many times. There were times maybe if we'd set out five minutes earlier, we would have been in a terrible crash. Only God knows that. But there are two times in my life when I can attest, I know I almost died. Once um, I was working in our yard in the fall around this time of year, and um, Wilson, my oldest son, was on the riding mower, and I had the rake. Have you ever heard of onomatopoeia? 
That's shoo, like that. That's the sound. If you ever watch the road runner, it's the sound that went through. And I can literally tell you, I heard a rock go right by my ear. Never in my life have I ever heard that sound, and I don't want to ever hear it again. I dropped to my knees. I was shaking because I realized if that thing had to have been that close to my ear, it picked up a rock. If it had hit me in the temple, I wouldn't be here now. But the second time I almost died was in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm not a bad swimmer. I'm not a great swimmer. I'm an average swimmer. But Whitney and I were in the Atlantic Ocean, and we got out a little too far. And I don't understand undertoes, but all I know is I was pulled, and I was exhausted. And by the grace of God, we were thrown toward an old pier that was strong enough, and we held on long enough for that water to subside and me to get energy back. I mean, I was clinging literally to my life and Whitney was clinging to me. But I thought about that. That pier with everything going on was unchangeable. And what does the psalmist say about the Lord? He is my rock. He's my rock. In a day where everything changes, he doesn't change. In a day when everything is crazy, he's not crazy. You know, we need time to reflect on God's greatness. We need it. He's unchanged. We say, well, Pastor, you just said he was eternal. Well, he's eternal and unchangeable. He's eternal and immutable. And those things are distinct. They're related in a lot of ways, but he could be eternal and have changed. He could change his mind, but he doesn't because he's God, and God doesn't change. He doesn't repent or relent in the way that man would. So not only is he eternal, not only does he exist forever and has he always existed, but he's the same. I wonder today, do you need that stability in your life? If you've not come to know Jesus Christ, you need to come to know him in the midst of the torrent. You need that which is immovable. Are you attached to him? You know, as I think back to this psalm and just these five attributes, I wondered how much did Martha miss that Mary got that particular day? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? She was so busy moving around, she had to have missed something. The scripture doesn't tell us. And then I thought, why does God call us to rest, to reflect? We need time. We need time to rest in him and to rehearse his greatness. We need time to remind ourselves the one to whom we're talking. You know, Anselm of Canterbury was a Christian philosopher during the 11th and 12th century ADs, and in the spirit of his uh, predecessor, Augustine of Hippo, Anselm held that faith necessarily precedes reason. But he added, reason can expand upon faith. In other words, he said, faith stands alone. It, it precedes reason, but he had no problem with reason uh, complying with faith. In fact, one of his most uh, popular sayings was the necessity of the incarnation of Christ. He said, only man owes the debt, only God could pay the debt, thus the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's how he would reason. But this great thinker, 
didn't just spend his time thinking about matters like that, but he spent time really reflecting on God. In, in fact, he wrote this, and I think it's good for us to hear. Come now, little person, turn aside a while from your daily employment. Escape for a moment from the tumult of your thoughts. Put aside your weighty cares and let your burdensome distractions wait. Free yourself for a while from God, and uh, for God, and rest a while in Him. Enter the inner chamber of your soul, and shut out everything except God and that which can help you in seeking Him. And when you hear, or and when you have shut the door, seek Him. Now my whole heart say to God, I seek Your face, Lord. It is your face I seek. Is that your desire today in your rest to rehearse who you're speaking to, to rehearse the Lord himself? He's a great God, unchangeable, eternal, our creator, benevolent toward us, righteous. All of the things that we desire, he is. We just need to take time and think on that. And spend that time. This psalm of rest speaks that to us. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, we thank you for this psalm hid in the midst of the many psalms of the Old Testament. Father, it was a song. It was sung just as we are going to sing in a moment. It was a song that testified to your greatness. Lord, forgive us the busyness of our lives when we do not stop to reflect on your attributes. Father, forgive us when we're too busy doing and not spending enough time hearing. And Father, if there be any here today who have never entrusted their lives to Jesus Christ, I pray your spirit would speak. And we lift this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.